Hello, and welcome to IAOP's podcast series, PulseCast, where we explore topics big and small in a world of collaborative partnerships. Thank you for joining us, and now the host of PulseCast. For today's PulseCast, we bring you a session from OWS 19. This presentation focuses on regulatory and governance trends impacting financial services and insurance. Let's take a listen. Quick introductions. Michael, do you want to go first? Yeah, I'm Michael Nacarado. I'm with uh, Transamerica. I've been there for about 15 months. Uh, spent the last 23 years in retail banking and financial services. So this is kind of my, my first year, year and a half in insurance. This is exciting. And like Marco said, um, uh, Debbie Hamill, the CEO of the IOP, had told us there's been a, a noticeable increase in insurance providers that have joined as corporate members. So she had asked, could we put some sort of uh, event or, or session here um, where we can talk really specifically to financial services and, and start leaning more towards insurance because there's going to be an elevated interest there. And um, Marco and I are actually, we also sit on the strategic advisory board for the IOP. So we're very, very interested in your feedback, not only from this session, but other sessions. So. I think everybody knows um, you can go into the OWS app and you can rate all the presentations uh, that are there. It's, it's really helpful and a lot of these sessions are driven by the feedback uh, that we get um, from the app. So if there's, rate what you've seen and what you heard, but also let us know what else you'd like to see next year and the IOP really listens and, and changes the programs for that. So actually, uh, John and I, um, our, our companies have been partners before. Right now, in full transparency, we're not in an active in engagement. Um, but like Marco said, we intended to have a panelist, and we wanted this to be really interactive. A couple of panelists couldn't show, so please uh, jump in with any questions at, at any time. Great. Good. So uh, name is John Bonish. I am a partner with ISG. We're a global technology research and advisory firm. Uh, I lead the insurance practice for North America, and I've been uh, in the advisory capacity for about seven and a half years, and for more years than I care to admit before that, I was uh, a service provider. Uh, what we're going to try to do today is I'm going to provide a little backdrop of kind of what I'm hearing from my clients and prospects in the insurance space of some of the challenges facing uh, the insurance industry at a high level, and then talk a little bit about what the technology disruptors are that are starting to make their way into insurance, and also share with you guys a little bit about kind of where uh, companies are on the maturity curve. And one of the things that we're going to be very interested in hearing as I put this up, those of you, how many of you are in the financial services space? Outstanding. So, you know, I'm going to be very interested to get your thoughts and feedback in terms of kind of some of the observations uh, you know, that we have as, as we go on. And I'll try to move quick. If, it's, if I hit a subject that's of interest, you know, stop me, we'll drill down. And you know, the goal is to cover you know, a pretty good landscape over the course of the next uh, 45 minutes or so, okay? So, um, so first of all, you know, what, are, what am I hearing consistently in financial services generally, but more specifically within insurance companies? First of all, there's been a lot of financial duress over the last several years. It's not a growing market. Uh, if you look at global premiums, they're basically flat to down over the course of the last several years. So a lot of pressure on revenue. Uh, revenue is basically coming through stealing market share from other companies. There's just not a lot of new products that have been introduced that have created uh, demand. 
you know, secondly, we're seeing that uh, you know, there's been a great deal of pressure on costs because you know, a fair amount of an insurance company's income is derived from its investment portfolio. Portfolio returns have been at historically low levels. And then finally, regulatory pressures are you know, coming on since 2008 have had a significant bearing uh, on insurance companies. You know, secondly, there is growing demand for new technology, but at the same time, uh, CIOs are saddled with a lot of legacy applications that kind of prevent them from being able to move in an agile manner, and it's also creating budget challenges. And then finally, uh, most insurance companies are in their second and even third generation of outsourcing today, and what we're seeing is that there are significant changes in both the nature of the contracts that are going in the marketplace, the, the uh, providers that are competing for those, the terms and conditions associated with them. And I hope you know, we'll have a little time to talk about that and get your thoughts. So the big technology demands that are driving insurance companies, you know, RPA is a potential game changer, but for those of you that are involved in RPA, it's hard. I mean, it's just hard. Um, there's also the need for insurance companies to find new ways to interact with their agents, uh, producers and policy owners and you know there's a growing demand to have you know apps on your phone that that can support you and it's very difficult for insurance companies that have legacy claims legacy policy administration systems you know to provide that uh, that kind of linkage um, you know insuretech we'll talk a little bit about insuretech and how that has the potential to disrupt the marketplace and then you know certainly information security is a high priority fraud detection has become a much more important aspect in uh, the insurance space and then you know a lot of talk about uh, data analytics you've probably been to uh, sessions here in the last couple of days on that sounds great but again what we're seeing at least in the insurance space is that it's being looked at but not thoroughly adopted so that's kind of the overall framework does that I mean not ahead does that sound about what your world is okay all right, so this is basically a depiction of if I were to walk into a CIO's office and tell me a little bit about what your strategy is, I think I could put this slide up and I would get a nodding of the head from you know, many CIOs that says, yep, that's, that's basically where my area of focus is right now. And it's all about you know, improving operations, providing digital enablement to the environment, uh, trying to find ways to mine all that data that insurance companies have uh, to provide insights about their uh, clients, policy products, and the like. Uh, try to find ways to rationalize the application's portfolio. A typical insurance company like a Transamerica, you know, they may have eight or 10 or 12 admin systems. They may have three or five or seven claim systems. And there's a big push to try to find ways to rationalize that. And then security, uh, which Michael's gonna talk a little bit about both in terms of regulatory as well as just you know, the whole area of compliance has become a much greater area of focus for insurance. So let me, uh, Michael, let me turn it over to you, talk a little bit about compliance and what you're seeing. Yeah, this is becoming a, a, you know, a bigger challenge. And when I think about some of the other sessions uh, that have happened today that I've been in and visited, I have uh, my friend and co old colleague, Danny uh, Goldstein in the back there, um, he'd come to the session, right, Dan, and said, hey, we've got some challenges around GDPR. Gosh, I sat in this session and wow, light bulbs went off and found uh, some solutions. So again, we wanted this to be interactive. If anyone has any best practices, that's what we want to do is, is share. Um, a couple notes that I wrote down that, uh, that you had triggered, we've had a lot of uh, talks about cybersecurity too, and, and a really poignant point that was made this morning with um, the state of Georgia is 
data information security actually starts with physical security, right? We were talking with one of the gentlemen um, before the session. He says something as simple as just putting a lock on the door. That, that's, that's one of the first steps uh, to physical and, and data security. So doing site visits, we know a lot of us have gotten um, pushback on going doing site visits, especially offshore. Um, I think it's penny wise and, and pound foolish. Uh, the money that is being saved in labor arbitrage, it won't go pay for a business class ticket to spend two weeks and go to all of your sites and you know get into land rooms and, and, and check um, uh, the, the racks and everything in, in there and the security. So um, the other thing I want to mention too, because this is starting to become an emerging trend in, in insurance is wearables. Right, we have insurance companies now that are kind of like you know Geico. You put that thing in your car, and your rates are reduced by how safe you drive. You know, insurance companies are starting to say, "All right, what about wearables?" Well, now when we have the GDPR and we've got the California Consumer Privacy Act, right, all that information is now either personal health information or, or personal information. It's all has to be uh, protected. These are the different um, uh, localities and the different regulatory. Um, uh, programs that we have to be compliant with. Uh, another element of this we want to have on our panel is some uh, folks from multinational insurance companies, right? Some of us here in the U.S., we have global uh, headquarter policies that we have to comply with, but they, we have to have the ability to localize them, um, you know, here in, in the U.S. or the regions or in insurance, you know, New York Department of Financial Services, right, very specific regulations uh, by state. So that's some of the challenges that, that we're having in our organization. You know, how do we manage BAU, data info security? How do we now be compliant with uh, GDPR? How do we adopt from headquarters here locally uh, what we need to do? And then now we have California Consumer you know, Privacy Act, right? All with different uh, deadlines. So that, those are the things that we're trying to, to balance internally. And me being relatively new to the insurance space about a year here, um, I also got introduced to the NAIC Model Act, right? Very specific um, audit requirements for TPAs, uh, you know, third parties. Um, and then the other thing that I was pleased to hear this year that I didn't hear a lot last year, but almost every session, is people are really starting to focus on fourth and fifth parties, right? And I think we've had an over-reliance of, well, we'll put it in our contract that if they use a provider, they've got to do what we're asking them to do. But this goes back to having the ability to go to that fourth party and do an audit because no regulator is going to accept that your third party didn't do what they were supposed to do, right? We still outsource the process, but, but not the accountability. And then this is the same thing, trying to organize different groups, right? Our business partners are worried about getting their business done, right? Running their business. We need to do this as least intrusively as we can, but also help um, the speed of execution of our, our business partners. So these are the, all the elements that we have, not only in our due diligence process, but these are the things that uh, we consider in our ongoing monitoring program and the things that we um, inspect, what we expect from our third and fourth parties. Okay. All right, so let me, let me kind of drill into uh, a few specific emerging technologies that have particular relevance in financial services and insurance. Um, you know, first one, you know, there's a lot of talk about blockchain. Everybody's heard about Bitcoin. Um, some industries are further along in finding ways to adopt uh, blockchain. Uh, in the insurance space, I would say many of the larger companies are experimenting. 
Uh, I've seen there's been a couple of consortiums uh, formed to use blockchain as a distributed ledger to share data. A good example might be um, uh, in reinsurance or in uh, uh, you know, claims where there are multiple providers involved to do uh, you know, kind of sharing of claims data. Uh, I think it's also going to become a factor in you know, the know your customer requirements uh, that are affecting financial services. So show of hands, anybody have a you know, production environment using blockchain today? That's kind of what I would have guessed. Okay, uh, RPA and, uh, and AI, that's really gotten a lot of attention in the last couple of years. And uh, you know, I've done a lot of work with, uh, with insurance companies with RPA. It's, you know, it's a silver bullet, uh, if you will, because so, mu so much of the work that's done in insurance back office involves moving data from one place to the other. And a lot of times it's not cost effective to build the APIs or the bridges between systems to move that data. RPA is a quick and accurate uh, and reliable means by which that can be done. However, it's very dependent upon having very stable uh, environments in, uh, in, your, in, your, in, your, in your applications environment. And what I've found is that uh, there are so many uh, moving parts within some legacy applications that robots tend to be very fragile. And so a lot of frustration in the market where a use case is built for RPA, models are built, put into production, constantly failing. So you know, a lot of work is being right, done right now within the RPA space to understand how to harden bots so that they are less susceptible to kind of falling apart. Uh, it still holds a lot of promise. I've seen companies make very big commitments uh, you know, to RPA. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, AI in a second when we talk about uh, chatbots. Uh, and you know, we're, you know, everybody is familiar now with Alexa, right? And I'm seeing insurance companies begin to use that robo-technology to supplant call centers. And uh, you know, I've seen it done with some success, and you probably all have, because they're some of the larger property casualty uh, insurance companies have you know, actively deployed uh, chatbots. So it's, what's great about it is the ability to get answers to your policy owners and your agents much more quickly without having to you know, work through several screens to get the information that that caller is looking for. Uh, you know, a properly set up uh, robo-chat can get to that data, a chatbot can get to that data a lot more quickly. Show of hands, anybody using chatbots in their call centers at this point? Hopefully looking at it, because it is, yeah, it's it. Is it more voice interaction or is it more voice, like you say chat, like I'm on? Oh, yeah, it's just like, so if you've got Alexa at home, you know, I depend on it in the kitchen, you know, how many teaspoons are in a cup? It's, you know, you call and say, when is my policy premium due? Uh, what's the status of my claim? Uh, so there are emerging capabilities to use chatbots to do uh, those kind of calls. And it does a couple things. First of all, I think you get more accurate, more timely information to the caller. And second of all, it's, it's far more cost effective than having humans answer the call. So it's, it's got a lot of potential. Yeah, John, where I've seen that, especially in financial services and in other property and casualty, when there's an event, right, the, the overwhelming majority of the questions are going to be very similar. So deploying those chatbots where you can handle many more calls and you know there's a finite of a number of questions uh, and responses. So where they, and you know, banking, financial services, right, you have these cyclical questions around IRAs and retirement come, uh, come February, March, uh, April timeframe. 
that's where I've seen them being most um, often deployed now. But I know that we're in the process now of doing due diligence to go more broadly across our call centers with the uh, chatbots. Yeah, so just, you know, just to, to point out something you know, on the chart. So basically, you know, here's what we've been seeing in the marketplace generally, relatively low adoption. What we're seeing as far as the trend towards adoption, you know, in most of these cases, it's moving kind of toward the medium rate. And I think that you know, over the next couple, three years, uh, we'll see some of this accelerate. Because frankly, the underlying technologies are still pretty nascent. The companies that are providing those to the market are companies that may not have the size or scale that a big insurance company is used to contracting with. So, you know, there, there, there's some challenges that, uh, that will kind of prevent adoption from accelerating too quickly. Um, predictive analytics, uh, you know, this is mining big data to find trends, to identify, you know, potential patterns that may lead to a ability to track fraud, uh, reduce, uh, uh, fraudulent claims, uh, also to better understand the demographics of your, uh, you know, potential policy owners, to understand how to better go after certain markets that might be more productive for your products, you know, also, you know, arming your uh, agents or producers with, with better information about what the demographics of your business really look like. Um, drones, you know, pretty much confined right now in the property casualty space. Uh, very limited adoption so far. Um, you've probably seen uh, or heard examples where they might be used for inspections of properties for damage. It's a whole lot easier to send a drone up, fly around the roof of a house to look for hail damage than it is to put a human on a ladder. So I think that that's something that's being looked at now, and I think we're going to start to see wider uh, adoption of that. But there's also some, some other, you know, interesting, um, you know, IOP uh, internet. Uh, applications that I think we're going to start to see. I was talking to somebody the other day who is uh, very focused on installing sensors in buildings to serve to prevent loss as opposed to react to loss. And we'll talk a little bit about InsureTech in a minute, and I think that's where you're going to start to see some emerging capabilities using the Internet of Things to actually reduce um, you know, claims liability. And then social media, I think to one extent or another, you know, companies are trying to find out how to take advantage of all the communication that's taking place with social media, both to understand the perceptions of your company, to you know, quickly identify whether there's negative feedback out there that you need to be able to respond to, and also to better understand how to promote and position uh, products in the marketplace. So let me pause. Um, I see some nodding of heads. These are all things that are on your radar screen to an extent as you, as you kind of look at technology and sourcing. Is anyone using predictive analytics as a retention tool trying to predict attrition? That's where in banking specifically I've seen this used even two, three, four years ago where they will take um, customers that have left the bank and look at their attributes, um, what they had done six, 10, 12 months before they left, and then run the rest of their customer base to see who was displaying those, what they considered early indicators of potential attrition, then having a reach out call just to see how the re relationship was going. So they've had success in decreasing their attrition numbers by looking at those customer um, habits and activities of those who've left. Yeah. So, you know, just an interesting side point. I'll talk a little bit more about specifically how this relates to sourcing. But, you know, if you think about it, 
most all the providers you're talking to here over the, the last couple of days are making investments in all of these capabilities. What I find kind of interesting, however, is that with my existing clients, they are not finding that their providers are, you know, proactively bringing, you know, innovative ideas to the table. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how I believe that uh, the approach towards sourcing needs to change to ensure that you are getting the benefit of these new and emerging technologies and you're seeing how they might apply to your business. Um, so, so we talk about ARC, uh, and it's basically automation, robotics, and cloud. So you know, these are kind of the fundamental technologies that will be uh, driving, uh, moving towards you know, digital implementation uh, within uh, financial services companies in general, insurance companies in specific. Um, so you know, when, you, when you look at, uh, you know, we, we've talked about RPA, the application of RPA is across the board uh, within a typical insurance company. It can be in the new business arena, it can be in the underwriting area, it can be in the claims area, um, and even you know, in the compliance area uh, for uh, being able to organize and uh, analyze data. So you know, I think RPA will continue to be a major area of focus. Um, you know, AI, I think, is also going to, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, I think we're going to start to see that being applied more. Uh, and I've seen some really interesting work using uh, machine learning to take uh, kind of the documents that would typically come into an insurance company that today may need to be keyed into a system and using smart technology to begin to train your systems to be able to read those documents, whether they be PDFs or handwritten or facts, and actually with a higher and higher degree of accuracy, convert those into digital form to be entered in the systems. And I think you know, there's a lot of benefit from a cost, accuracy, and timeliness uh, manner that's gonna, that's, that that's gonna bring. And then on the, in the back office side of IT, uh, automation is going to do a lot to reduce the amount of service ticket activity that, that uh, uh, IT organizations have to support. And the benefit of that is going to be lower cost, faster resolution of uh, uh, user uh, uh, tickets in IT, which then will fund investment in some of these other technologies that are going to bring greater ba uh, value to the business. And then uh, cloud has been something that you know, I would say has been fairly widely adopted across other industries, not so much uh, really in insurance. I'm seeing it more as a solution for as a service. So for example, your CRM now as a service and it's cloud-based. You might have your, uh, your ERP, your, your, your HR systems as a service, you know, Workday and the like. Um, the problem is you know, your core systems don't necessarily lend themselves well toward the cloud, uh, especially if you have you know, mainframe-based policy administration systems. You have to have those systems very closely linked to your surround systems, and it's not practical sometimes to put those surround systems in the cloud if you're anchored to a mainframe. So you know, several insurance companies I'm aware of have five and 10-year plans to get off the mainframe, and the problem is it's just risky and expensive. Thoughts? In some cases, you've got a mainframe provider who's <laughs> well, that's a great question. I mean, so first of all, there, um, you know, if you had asked me that 10 years ago, I would say, well, you know, if you're using provider A, you can go to provider B. If you're using B, you can go back to A. The, the world of providers that are available and the means by which you can have those services delivered are a lot different now. 
So instead of having to go to a monolithic provider who's providing you to end-to-end -end service, including your mainframe, uh, there are colo opportunities, uh, there are, you know, hosted, you know, mainframe opportunities available from a whole host of new providers that have emerged within the last five years. So the dependency on that, you know, that 800-pound gorilla is diminishing. That said, um, you know, it, it, most CIOs are kind of reluctant to make a big commitment to try to migrate off mainframe because there have been so many uh, failures in the last several years trying to take mainframe-based policy administration systems and port them to to a server-based solution. Did that answer your question? So, I mean, so, you know, the interesting thing is, as a, as a consumer of IT services, your leverage is greater today than it ever has been. And it's because uh, there are so many new providers emerging who are not, they're not as dependent upon their um, annuity business. What you'll find is some of the traditional providers, you know, these, technologies are a big threat to them because they will threaten their revenue streams because we're seeing that contracts that are properly competed in the marketplace are coming in at 30 to 50% lower than the, uh, the expiring contract. So that's a big threat to some of the legacy providers. And that's created a whole new market for, for others to come in who don't have to worry about uh, basically uh, cannibalizing their, their core. So I think we've pretty much covered all this. I'm just gonna kind of recap so if you think about it, you know, AI and automation, you know, big priority, uh, difficult. You want to make sure that you've got, you know, both the right internal structure to take full advantage, you know, center of excellence, a governance process, the discipline to make, to take full advantage. And then you have to decide, are you going to build, buy, or partner uh, to get that capability? You know, do you, are you big enough? Are you sophisticated enough to be able to attract and retain the kind of resources to implement that on your behalf, or are you better off looking at you know partners in the market? And if it's a partner, you know what kind of partnering structure do you want to do? Um, I think insurance distribution is going to change a lot over the next several years. You know we're already seeing it. We'll talk a little bit about insuretech in a minute, but people will be buying insurance in different ways. Uh, we're starting to hear talk about being able to buy car insurance by the drink. So instead of having an annual insurance contract and you're paying every month for your auto insurance, whether your car is sitting in the garage or not, there are going to be ways by which you can buy insurance just for the time that you're using a car. And that's going to require a lot of technology that's, that, that's, that's not there today. But you're going to see more and more of that. You're going to see buying groups being formed, affinity groups buying insurance and essentially self-insuring. And some of the insure tech companies are starting to come out with those, those products. I'll talk about those. Um, we talked a little bit about platform as a software, uh, as a service, software as a service. You know, I'll show you in a little bit a graph that just shows how the market's changing and how traditional outsourcing is actually kind of relatively flat. The growth in the market is coming as a service. And then analytics and Internet of Things we, 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 we've kind of covered. So, I mean, to me, the, these are kind of the, the hot buttons that you need to be thinking about as you plan, you know, your technology strategy as the CIO, and then as the person that's going to be sourcing services, you need to make sure that you have the means in place to assure that you're selecting the proper provider and that you're building a contract that takes into account the fact that the world's going to look totally different in three to five years, and how do you contract uh, for services when innovation is going to be much more rapid than it's been in the past. So I won't go into a lot of detail with InsureTech unless there's some questions, but really what you're seeing is 
kind of three levels. First of all, the InsureTech community is much more focused on understanding user experience. So they're, you know, that, they're not burdened by traditional channels to market, means by which they communicate with policy owners or agents. So they can come in with kind of a fresh uh, uh, pad of paper to, to take a look at what does a customer want to look for? How do they want to interact? How do they want to buy insurance? How do they want to process a claim? How do they want to get answers? So you're seeing that they come in kind of on the front end with a different approach and they've got a blank slate. They're not uh, burdened by the legacy applications that many of the big insurance companies have. So what are the technologies that they're applying? All the ones we just talked about. And you know, what's that gonna mean? Uh, you know, from, the, from the insurance company's perspective, the ones that adopt this most quickly are the ones that are gonna be in the best position to steal market share. When we talked at the beginning about the fact it's a flat market, you wanna grow, it's gotta come from taking business away from somebody else, and the way you do that is to offer innovative uh, uh, means by which your policy owners and agents can work with you. Uh, it's also going to help in terms of you know, reducing uh, IT costs over time, simplifying the IT environment, and maybe making it more practical to think about getting off the mainframe in a shorter period of time. I will say, however, you know, FinTech has been far more uh, widely embraced in the financial services market than InsureTech has been in insurance. And I think the difference is, if you look at it, a typical global financial services company is spending eight to 10 percent of revenue on technology. A typical global insurance company is spending two to four percent. So the amount of money that's available to invest in pilots and prototypes that InsureTech and FinTech represent, insurance companies have historically not had the wherewithal to invest as heavily as financial services. However, that said, most of the big insurance companies have set up venture capital arms to make uh, very uh, targeted investments in InsureTech. Anybody have experience working with InsureTech companies? But it's, 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 it's gonna be a growing trend. It's something to really become aware of. And then also, most importantly, you know, so once you identified something that's you know, a pr particular interest to you, you know, how do you go about you know, contracting it and implementing, uh, integrating it within your environment? So I think we've kind of covered uh, what's on here in terms of you know, why are InsureTechs coming, coming to be? Um, how are they, you know, what are they using in terms of underlying technologies to deliver innovative uh, services? You know, and, then, and then finally, what kind of results are they, they achieving? And I think you're gonna start to see more and more um, you know, really interesting insurance products coming out. One of the, I was at a conference uh, last month pretty interesting idea. Some of these insure tech companies are bypassing the traditional insurers completely. If you think about the reinsurance companies who traditionally have not gone to market directly, insure techs are going to them saying, look, you know, you've got all the wherewithal, you're, you're doing all of the regulatory filings, you're meeting all the capital requirements to be an insurer, and you're not burdened with some of the systems of record to deal with you know, policy owners. We can come in, we can bring a new generation of interaction with policy owners, so let's just go to market together. And that's gonna be an, a, an interesting disruptor um, as well. What do you think the impact of, in, in the health industry, the impact of CBS teaming up with like, Aetna, you know, uh, Express Scripts, I guess it's Aetna, do you think that that's gonna also spur additional Sure. I mean, it's, you know, it's your typical kind of supply chain issue. And if you look at what Amazon, 
you know, has done in the retail space, I think it's going to have kind of the same impact uh, that Amazon has. And I think what you're going to find is there's probably going to be greater pressure on cost, hopefully, reducing overall cost. But I think that the channels by which you interact with your insurer and your healthcare provider will probably change, and hopefully for the better. Okay, so, so let me spend a couple minutes and just talk about uh, ITO. And as I mentioned to you, I've been, I've been in the ITO business for uh, a long time. Um, an interesting statistic that we've been monitoring at ISG over the course of the last uh, couple of years is the fact that an increasingly large number of contracts that are coming up for renewal are being put out to competitive bid. Years past, you had a provider, it's like, you know, they're not great, but do we want to go through all the agony of looking at switching providers? Well, the short answer is more and more companies are saying, you know what, we're not getting what we want from our providers. We need to take a look at the market. We need to see if there's better alternatives, number one. And number two, you know, maybe we've been outsourcing for two, three generations now, and we as a company are more mature. We've got a more mature VMO. We've got a more mature governance model. We have a more sophisticated retained organization. We can manage multiple providers. So instead of going with that monolithic 800-pound gorilla, I'm going to go and get best of breed. I'm going to find the absolute best company to run my data center. I'm going to find the best company to operate my policy administration systems. I'm going to find the best company who can help me to implement RPA and, 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 and manage in a, in a multi-provider ecosystem. So the RFPs that I'm helping to put out to market now, increasingly, we're broadening the net in terms of the providers we're reaching out to, and increasingly we're seeing that it's going to be multi-provider awards as opposed to the single outsourcing contract that we're, you know, we've seen in the past. So what we're seeing is when things do go out for, for competitive bid, about two-thirds of the time now and in, in growing, what we're seeing is that the incumbents are, are losing all or part of their scope. And that's a big change from where we were five or 10 years ago. And part of the fact is that, uh, A, there's more competitors out there to choose from. Uh, B, the pain associated with transition is diminishing because these companies are getting better and better at doing it. The knowledge transfer is a far more uh, mature process than it, than it was before. So, and again, what we're seeing is the traditional outsourcing business, and this is a little out of date, but it's probably accelerating now. The traditional outsourcing business is kind of flat to shrinking overall, overall market. And what's growing is the as a service. So you're seeing more of the cloud-based providers, you know, the Amazons, the Azures, and so forth, stepping in and providing sourcing solutions as a, as a, as a service. Does this ring true? One of the approaches that we're taking in taking the same approach what you're talking about here is refresh everything, but we're also using that as a vehicle to force the provider to the table to come to, come to grips with the new terms. That's right, yeah. And so one of the things we as ISG, we, we, do, we do a lot of work trying to figure out what's best practice for codifying innovation. You know, I told you that the pace of change is going to just accelerate. So, you know, the days of a 10-year contract are just over. You know, it's a three to five year contract, but even within that three to five years, how do you ensure that your incumbent doesn't become complacent? How do you make sure that when a new technology comes out that they're gonna bring that to you and you don't have to force them? And you've got an easy mechanism within that MSA or within that SOW to accommodate change. 
Okay. From a regulatory and compliance standpoint, right, this is the opportunity when you're reviewing your MSAs is um, traditionally our, our third parties always took direction from us on what they needed to do to be compliant with the changing regulatory environment. I'm seeing a, a, a strong trend where we're putting that responsibility. I mean, we, we can never outsource the accountability, but the responsibility on on the third and fourth parties to know and understand and stay current with the changing U.S. and, and, and European regulatory environment. Yeah. And to the contracts. And I think our lawyers are a lot more open to hear from the provider now, more than they used to be, too. You know, it was always like, do as we say. And now, when they come back with feedback, they're definitely open to go, okay, we'll use your template versus ours and that stuff. You know, especially if they improve expertise. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I, nothing's better than keeping that process competitive because you'll get the best of both worlds that way. So, um, you know, you know what we're seeing here, and I'll talk a little bit about BPO in a second, is we're seeing, you know, a that strong move away from FTE-based staff augmentation cons uh, and usage-based to outcome-based managed service. So, you know, where you know five years ago that was probably a third of the market. It's probably over half and growing to be two-thirds. So move from, from, from you know, kind of consumption to outcome. And then the second thing is risk transfer. So I'm seeing a great deal more transfer of risk from the buyer to the provider. And you know, I, think those are, I think those are good things because I think it gets the provider to have the same motivations that you do. So they don't want to put their thumb on the scale in order to increase revenue, they're going to be motivated to find ways to improve, and and that's a big, big change that's occurred in the market. That's a byproduct of the the industry and the maturity continuum, right? As 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 individual organizations get more mature in their programs, they have a higher risk tolerance, right? Where they, they and when the provider demonstrates that competency and that ability, and they care just as much about those cybersecurity and other things as we do, um, I think that's all part of your maturity continuum. Yeah. So on the BPO front, you know, first of all, again, maturing of the marketplace, many more BPO providers that are available, and big shift away from FTE-based towards outcome-based, transaction-based. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time working on, you know, trans transaction-based contracts in the insurance space. So instead of me saying I'm going to buy 150 FTEs, I'm going to pay for 150 policies to be administered for a dollar a month. So big shift there. Uh, you know, I think we're seeing uh, the number of players that are now more sophisticated and actually are going out and getting TPA licenses to be increasing. Um, pricing, big downward pressure. Um, the uh, the, the, the uh, impact of RPA on BPO is going to be huge. There's been estimates that 30 to 50 percent of the people in India doing BPO today will be replaced by robots in the next three or four years. So think about that. If you've got a long-term contract and you're paying essentially for people and those people are being be replaced by bots, how are you benefiting from that? So what we're basically telling folks is, A, you're in a much stronger position to negotiate more favorable terms for a BPO contract today. And then secondly, if you've got a contract that's more than two years old, if you've got a benchmark provision, now's the time to, you know, to, uh, to use it. And certainly, uh, it's an excellent opportunity to, to kind of look at the competitive landscape. So, so that's kind of that's kind of our material. Open it up. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left. Love to answer any questions. I think we struggle a little bit because of um, uh, 
business lines, we're in retirement services, retail life, employee benefits, producer services, employee mm -hmm. financial. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we've been made up of acquisitions over the years. I'm very, I spent a lot of time with you guys five years ago, yeah. So, um, you know, we've got multiple outsourcing partners offshore call centers and back office. Um, but we're very regulated by the SEC, regulated by FINRA. We've got registered workers, it's still a broker deal. So, mm -hmm. for very customized process in specific areas. So, we have a few RPA projects, but well, I tell you what. So you know, it's 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 like with any technology, you really need to build a good foundation. You really need to make sure that you have the governance in place, the center of excellence, the process to determine what you're going to automate and what you're not. Then you need to make sure that you have a proper interaction between the business and IT. A lot of times, I've seen that that's not as linked as it needs to be. And then you just need to have a means by which you can monitor results. So you don't go in and say, I'm gonna build 100 bots. You say, I'm gonna build five bots. And if the five bots work, I'll build 10. Um, boy, I bet it was cold in Minot. <laughs> it was. Yeah. <laughs> I'll go at this time. Yeah, okay. Well, great, I'll be, you know, I'll be around the rest of the day. If you see me, if you do wanna come up with any questions, I would be delighted to, uh, to talk to y'all. Great, thanks very much.